Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Becca Freeman. And I'm Olivia Mentor. And today is our February book club, and we're talking about Good Material by Dolly Alderton. I am so excited to talk about this one. I am too. I have some feelings. I got some mixed replies to my story when I shared that I was enjoying it yesterday. So I'm excited to hear your thoughts. Okay. Well, let's do some quick highs and lows before we get into that. What is your high? Okay. My high is that on Friday, I decided I was going to go to Goodwill and do like a true thrifting experience. Like I was going to go through every rack, every t-shirt, which because everyone says you can't just like browse the racks of Goodwill. Like you have to go through every hanger. And so I've been watching a lot of really fun thrifting content from this creator called Cup of Geordie on YouTube. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go. I'm going to take this afternoon. We were supposed to record and then it got moved. So I was like, I'm just going to go. And I had the most lovely time. I found a few things. What types it of was things? Like, like home things, clothing things? Clothing things. So I thrift for furniture and stuff a lot, but never clothing. But this was a clothing specific trip. So I was looking for like sweaters and basics, linen, like button downs and stuff that I like to wear. And so I found a lot of like 100% linen shirts and like a really cute sweater vest that I wore yesterday that I was excited about. I don't know. It was just like really fun to like hunt for the high quality items. And it made me feel really like inspired to shop it was just fun. It was really fun. I just had a good time. I used <laughs> so. to love thrift shopping in high school. And I lived kind of right north of Palm Beach in Florida, which is where there's a lot of like very rich old people. So I feel like they kind of got Ugh. some estate like clearances type there. And so yeah. I used to love to go to the Goodwill on Palm Beach Island because it was such a good one. But I used to be very into thrifting and I haven't done it in years and years because I feel like in New York City, there's so many people who thrift. So it's like impossible to get anything good. Yeah. Yeah. I used to go in high school too, but I had given up. I think because I'm so used to going in stores and being like, will something here fit me? I don't know. (laughs) But with thrifting, it's interesting because like you're really more looking for anything, not really like size specific. I don't know. It, It was just really lovely. So I think I might go every Friday. That sounds very fun. I'm looking forward to it. But what is your high? So I took a quick jaunt to Boston midweek last week because my friend was getting his American citizenship. And so I went up for the ceremony and then he threw a little party and it was very cute. He's British and his parents flew over from the UK and they were so into it. They were so proud. The ceremony was very bizarre. It was hugely (laughs) patriotic in a way that I was slightly uncomfortable with. That seems right for us. Like... (laughs) It was also very disorganized. Um, And then there was a party. Also seems right. Yep. Also seems right. I was like, this is very American. And then afterwards he had a party and I got to see all my Boston friends and we had a great lunch the next day. So it was just a very fun couple days off. That sounds so nice. So does he have dual citizenship now or did he like, okay. Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, I think the reason that he, he's had, he's lived in the U.S. since college. And I think the reason he pursued it Finally, because he he did have a green card was, you know, just in case whatever happens with this next election, if, you know. Oh, God. Yeah. And, and like speaking of lows. Geez. Yeah, exactly. That, um, <laughs> you know, he can't get kicked out of the country. Yeah. Fair. Well, welcome, Mike, to, <laughs> to our weird, disorganized, highly patriotic nation. Yep. Officially. What is your low? 
oh, I know I said this a few weeks ago, but I am craving routine so badly. I feel like I failed myself in February and I don't regret it, but I, I said one of my goals this year was to be more thoughtful about the time and money I spend on travel. And then I had a five-day trip to San Francisco and then I was back for a week and then I had a two-day trip to Boston. And I just feel like so much of the month was either preparing to travel, traveling, catching up from travel. And I just feel so out of a routine and I'm, I'm not going anywhere in March. I am so excited. I want to be bored. I want to have to romanticize my life because it is so mundane. But I am so excited for having a wake-up routine that I'm waking up at the same time every day, having a work routine, getting back into a movement routine. Like I am just craving routine. And I don't know if this is getting older or I don't know if this is your influence or I don't know if this is because of how this book is going. But like, this is not a feeling that I feel like I've frequently had in the past. And I am feeling it so deeply right now. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I can relate to this, as you know, so intensely. And that's all I wanted at the beginning of this year. But I feel like I have not gone anywhere for however many weeks now, six weeks, eight weeks. I don't know. And I feel like a changed woman. I honestly like feel like time at home to settle into a routine is so necessary. And I I truly do feel like a different person than I was two months ago. (laughs) So I am excited for you to have just like solid time to do all the boring stuff you talked about. Like it really just feels so good. It does. I can't wait. I'm excited for you. What about you? What is your low? (sighs) My low is the newest season of Love is Blind, which listen, I didn't even watch the first season of Love is Blind, which is famous because whatever, it doesn't matter. But since I've gotten into it and it is truly so like compulsively watchable. But the thing is, it's like a lot like social media where I can't resist it and it feels so like deliciously bad, but I feel so horrible afterwards. Like there's something about it that triggers every insecurity I have because so much of it is like, they like this person and they see them in real life. So it becomes all about physical appearance in one Mm. way or another. And whatever, everyone, you know, has who they're attracted to or who they're not attracted to or, or, you know, but it's just, for example, there's this one woman this season who told the guy when they're in the pods, they don't see each other. You know, everyone knows the concept. Never mind. Why am I explaining this to you? (laughs) Like you can't put two and two together. She was like, everyone tells me I look like Megan Fox, which is like a mistake, you know, because then high expectations. it's, it's, It's a mistake, but she does have features that like I can see that happening. However, she is getting dragged to hell online. And look, she's a divisive character for a lot of reasons, but I don't know. Just the way appearance is scrutinized on this show makes me so uncomfortable. And yet I cannot look away. I cannot turn it off. So I'm in it. What are we getting into here? Is this like a Love Island thing where each season is a million episodes or is this how many episodes are there? Maybe like 12 or 15, but they do drops. So it's like the first, you know, drop is four episodes, then you have to wait to the next week. And there's so many spoilers that you feel like you have to watch them all immediately at one go. And then I feel like I have this like hangover afterwards, but will I watch the rest of the episodes this season? Yes. Oh, that was going to be my question. Are Is this like your, <laughs> I've got it. your retirement from season- it or no? <laughs> I'm going to finish out this season and then assess like, 
I don't know if I'm strong enough. Like social media, you know, I keep going back to it. I can't figure it out. <laughs> can't break the pattern. But it's just, I don't know. It's complicated. It's complicated. I'm sorry for you. I, I don't <laughs> you. I don't know the right it's, I don't know the right green good, card for I'm sorry, love is blind is ruining your life. It's a specific issue, I guess. But uh anyway, yeah, I, I maybe there's someone out there who can relate. If not, this is a good low to have in the grand scheme of things. True. Good perspective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, how about we take an ad break and then get into this book? This episode is sponsored by ZocDoc. One thing I'm trying to get better at this year is just my shopping habits in general. Over time, I've started to make more of a note when it comes to materials and brands that I just never get as much wear out of as I think I will, or they just fall apart over time. I've tried to really like get to know the line between good enough and actually good quality. It can be so easy though to settle for something that is just okay. And that goes for some more important things beyond just clothes shopping as well. I know I cannot be the only person out there who has settled for making an appointment with a doctor just because it was too much of a hassle to find the perfect healthcare provider. Well, the good thing is that ZocDoc eliminates that hassle altogether. After all, if you treat yourself to the top options with everything in life, why settle when finding a doctor? It is your health after all. Enter ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book tens of thousands of top-tier doctors, all with verified patient reviews. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doctor you want, you can book them immediately. No more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual real patients. So don't settle. Go for the best and find the right doctor for you. With ZocDoc, you've got more options than you know. I am someone who has personally used ZocDoc for many, many years, and I can highly recommend it. Go to ZocDoc.com slash BOP and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash B-O-P. ZocDoc dot com slash B-O-P. All right, Olivia, let us chat about Good Material by Dolly Alderton. Do you want to kick us off with a little plot summary here? Sure. When struggling comedian Andy is broken up with by Jen, his girlfriend of almost four years, he goes through all the emotions you can imagine. Sadness, anger, frustration. Forced to move out and find his own place, Andy struggles to understand why Jen ended things and to navigate singleness in this new phase of life when everyone around him seems to be part of a couple or married with children. All Andy wants is to understand what went wrong with his relationship As he attempts to put together the pieces, he learns more about himself and love than he ever imagined. All right, Olivia, tell me your high-level feelings about this book. Okay, first thought, hilarious. I And this is your first Dolly Alderton book, right? It was. I went in with kind of neutral expectations. I followed her on social media for a while. I have kind of like a, I kind of want to be her. Like I love her Mm. hair. I love her outfit. She's six feet tall. Did you know that? I had a feeling and she's always wearing heels, which it warms my soul for a lot of reasons. She just seems really cool. Like so cool. Anyway, I was surprised at how funny it was and how much I just laughed my ass off while reading. I feel like the last 10% of the book, I went through an emotional roller coaster. (laughs) I was like, not, not sure how I was going to net out, but 
the more I think about it, my overall thought is that I loved this book. It kind of challenged me in some ways, which we'll get into, but I really loved it. Okay. What about you? Well, I feel like I have kind of painted myself into a corner here because this was my (laughs) book club pick and I picked it without having read it because I could not get an arc of it. But it had come out in the UK late last year and I had seen nothing but rave reviews, both from trade publications and also from people who are readers that I trust. So I went into it with very high expectations and I loved Dolly's debut novel, Ghosts. And I came out only medium on this. And I will say that I do think the switch to Jen's point of view at the end did help bring it up for me, but I was not totally loving this. I agree. The writing was fantastic. It had so many humorous moments, but I think my expectations were too high. And I don't know. Do you think it was because it was from a male perspective? Yes. Because that threw me at first. I won't lie. Like I came to really love it, but it was, it was a barrier at first. Yeah. So you think that threw you off? I think it really threw me off. I think, I mean, first of all, it's, it's really unique as a writer. It's a really interesting challenge that she took on to write from a male point of view. And I was looking up interviews with her because, so when I first started reading the book, part of me was wondering, was this originally written as dual POV or from Jen's point of view? And then it wasn't hooky enough. And so she switched it to Andy's point of view. And then as I went further, I was like, no, I I think it was always this way. But I was looking up interviews with her to see what she said about her inspiration. And I found one on Shondaland. And she said, I wanted to stretch myself as a fiction writer. I wanted to write a character with a totally different body, gender, life experience, job to mine. I suppose I thought that'd be an interesting creative exercise as a writer and as someone who's always found men eternally confusing. I thought it'd be an interesting exercise of empathy and investigation of gender and heterosexuality. So I really appreciate what she did from the writer perspective, but from the reader perspective, I don't know, I guess a couple of things. I found Andy to be really idiotic, which I think was the point. And I just, I, I don't, I kind of, I grew to love him, I, <laughs> but I get that. I, I did grow to like him more than I did at the beginning. And I also just don't feel like we are at a point in culture where I am super inclined to have a lot of empathy for straight cisgendered white men, right. you know? And That's so fair. I kind of had this feeling the whole time that his point of view was incomplete and that, you know, I was almost afraid to empathize with him too much because I was like, we're going to find out what really happened. And there's another shoot that's going to drop. That's okay. So that's interesting because sometimes I felt that way. And then other times I felt like there just wasn't, it was just like, these are just two people that didn't work out. And that's just how things are sometimes, you know, there's not some grand thing that happened, which when we get Jen's perspective, we kind of learned that it wasn't one huge thing. It was like a lot of little things. Yeah. But yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. I can see that. Yeah. It was also really interesting that because I was wondering if it had originally been from both of their points of view or Jen's point of view, I kind of got to a point pretty early on where I was like, oh, this was never from Jen's point of view because if the main character in this book was a woman who was this 
right. in shambles over a breakup, I feel like we would be really harsh on her in a way that for a man, we were like, oh, he's in touch with his feelings. This is kind of sweet that he's like so hung up on his ex-girlfriend where I was like, oh, I feel like if it was a woman, we would be tearing her down. Do you feel that way? Yes. I had that thought more than once. I definitely did. And I also had the thought that I read her acknowledgments and the end is about a little bit about her close female friends who have like helped her through. It was really beautifully written, but it was about the struggle of heartbreak. And I kind of wondered if she was like, and I'm sure she's written about this before from female perspectives. I haven't read her other books, like, like you said, but, um, I kind of wondered if she was like, I don't know. It's easier to write it from the man's perspective because it's not going to be immediately dismissed in the same way. Mm. And like, of course, there's like a lot to unpack there. That's interesting cultural criticism in and of itself. Exactly. Exactly. So like I was thinking maybe she was doing some sort of like meta. Yeah. Which I think by the end, like she kind of was. (laughs) Yeah. It it was interesting. Well, did you at any point buy in that Andy and Jen were meant to be? Um, there were moments where I was like, are they going to get back together? But I was like, no, there's no way. I found this scene where, spoiler, they like hook up again, like very painful to read. Like that was really like very realistic, but very painful. But no, I don't think so. But I also found the way that he talked about her sometimes to be very romantic. So I don't know. No, but a little bit. What about you? Well, I could see through his point of view, that it felt like she was fulfilling all of his needs. But then without getting her perspective, it was like, was it even? And I think in many relationships, this can be the case. And especially thinking about how many women have very deep emotional relationships with friends, but men don't. They invest all their, this is a generalization, they invest all of their emotional kind of needs into their relationship and to their partner. And so it felt like his needs were being met by being with Jen. It was like, this was perfect. He couldn't imagine anything better. And then it was like, but what's Mm -hmm. the other side of that? So I did believe that from his point of view, he truly did believe that this was the be all end all. And I, I did think it was so funny. The book opens with a list of things he dislikes about Jen. And I thought that that list was so funny of like, you know, he was obviously reaching in a lot of these of like, she once nodded at a tiny jade spoon in a museum, you know? (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. (laughs) Oh, it cracked me up. So as I said, I found this book hilarious, but what were some of your favorite humorous parts? I have many, but (laughs) I want to hear yours. Well, it's so funny because I feel like you can tell she's an essayist and a memoirist because there's almost these little asides where it it goes away from the plot and it's just kind of like cultural observation. And so I did think there was a bit about 30th versus 31st birthdays and about how when you're 30, you still have all of this hope. But by the time you're 31, you kind of like know who you are. I thought that was very, very funny. There was actually a birthday bit in Ghosts too. And it was about when friends with kids come to a birthday party and like, flame out early because they're like, this has to be the best night ever. So I do think (laughs) observational birthday party humor is is her bag. I also thought both of their lists of things that they liked and didn't like about each other was so funny and felt very Nora Ephron-esque of like different types of lists. And then, you know, I thought there was a lot of like situational humor that was so funny. Same. 
that, you know, like wasn't super remarkable, but was just like made me maybe not laugh out loud, but made me chuckle. What was doing it for you humor wise? So the first like big laugh was <laughs> when, when he's searching their old WhatsApp conversations and he types in the word cog, but he accidentally sends it to her mm-hmm. as a message. And he's like, she's like, this is really inappropriate. You can't do this. I That just cracked me up so much. And then the other thing was him moving in with Morris. I found Morris to be hilarious. Like the Julian Assange thing cracked me up to no end. I, I just thought, and how he writes him back at the end, just it absolutely killed me. And then, oh, the scene where he's wearing the Oasis t-shirt and uh-huh. he he runs into Jen and her new boyfriend and and he says, don't look back in anger, like the song. And Andy goes, oh, I'm trying not to. Really, <laughs> it just, oh my God, it absolutely cracked me up. I, I laughed a lot. I really did. I thought it was great. I think the line level writing and the humor is where this book really, really excelled for me. But I want to talk about one of the biggest themes of the book, which is Andy's desire to communicate with his friends, but his sheer inability to. And I'm curious, did you find this realistic or did you find this emblematic of the men you know? You have a husband, you have a brother. Like, So in terms of like the difficulty in talking about emotions, like definitely can see that in pretty much every man that I have any sort of a close relationship to. But the way it was described in this book was really fascinating to me because I was like, oh, is that really what it feels like? Like they're afraid of getting it wrong, of like not having the language to and not a lack of desire to. Okay, that's where I kind of felt it veered unrealistic to me. And again, this is a generalization, but I just don't feel like most of the men I know are aware of the lack and or desirous of fixing it. Like there was a moment towards the end where his friend John breaks up with his girlfriend and he ends up writing him a letter at the end. But before that, he really wants to have like an honest conversation with him, but is afraid that they'll like take the piss out of him if he is too earnest about it. And I was like, that doesn't feel realistic to me. I don't know. That's interesting. I kind of thought like this could be the case, but I don't know. So I actually had the thought when I finished the book last night that I was going to give it to Jake and ask if this is really like close to his experience because... I would be so curious because it it does yeah. feel like, and maybe this was just because the character needed to have an arc, an evolution. I did feel like it was more realistic in the first half of the book where Andy kind of laments that it feels like his friends are kind of doing a checklist where they have to all go out and take him for a night at the pub. And then they've like done their, they have to like check in with him a certain amount and then they've like done their duty. And so that part felt realistic where it was like, he was aware that his, his needs weren't being met, but like it wasn't quite to the level that he wanted to sit down and have a heart to heart about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do think that the scene at the end where his friend gets broken up with and he's like, thinking the whole time that he should say something, but he doesn't felt real to me. Like I can imagine that once you have any sort of emotional awareness as a man, like, you know, a straight cisgendered man, like I imagine it still takes years to actually get to the place where you're like willing to put that on display. But I will report back because I think I'm going to have Jake read this book because I I am very, very curious about his perspective on it. I'm really curious too. I did think there was some humor in that moment where Andy finds out that 
Jane and all of their friends are taking Jen to the spa and he's like, I got broken up with two. Like, why don't I get a vacation? <laughs> I love that. I I love that. Yeah, it's definitely I imagine it's difficult for men. God, that feels like such a strange phrase to say. <laughs> but, <laughs> like, it feels wrong. <laughs> but I can imagine it would feel very isolating when you're going through something very traumatic and you literally can't express it outside your body where I'm like, I will sit down with you and talk for three hours in detail mm-hmm. about every emotional peak and valley. So yeah. Well, what is interesting though, is that in my research about the making of this book is that it does seem like this was based on interviews with men. So again, going back to the Shondaland interview, she said, in terms of gender specificities, I interviewed about 15 men, male colleagues, friends, and I asked a lot of specifics about what male friendship is like in the throes of heartbreak, what the internal landscape is like, and how that conflicts with the external and how they present. What I found is that obviously all men are different. There isn't a homogenized male experience, except for one thing that came out of every single interview I did, which is that they all felt they didn't have the language or permission to speak about the emotional process with any sort of detail or at length with their male friends. It's very interesting. Yeah, that is really interesting. I'm now so curious what Jake reports back about this. Yeah, I he just finished Demon Copperhead, so this will be a change of pace. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'll be like, here is this. Please report back for us. Well, let's take an ad break and then we will get into more discussion about this book. This episode is sponsored by Prose. And I feel like I have a little bit of weird hair dysmorphia. So in my pre-prose life, I always thought of myself as somebody who didn't have good hair. My hair is really fine. It kind of dries wonky if you don't heat style it. And I don't have that thick, lustrous ponytail mane. And I've just always kind of thought of myself as somebody with not great hair. And it was so funny because I was meeting somebody new the other night and we somehow got on the topic of talking about our hair. And I was like, yeah, my hair is really fine. And they were like, you have great hair. And I truly think that my hair has just undergone such a transformation since I started using my custom pros shampoo and conditioner about four years ago. It has fundamentally transformed me into somebody with good hair. That's a great thing. That's a, that's a great descriptor to have someone with good hair. I mean, a goal we all aspire to, I think. But With pros, it all starts with their in-depth hair quiz. You answer questions about your styling routine and your hair goals, but also some less expected things like your exercise routine, eating habits, and hair damage level. With those answers, pros analyzes over 85 personal factors to create your perfect formula. Also, just some general advice, life advice, unsolicited advice. Get the Corsica scent. It's crafted with peonies and anjou pears, and it makes every shower smell absolutely amazing. The other thing I love about pros is that my hair has never gotten used to it, even after four years. And I think it's in large part due to their review and refine feature. After each order, you get to tell them how they did and they make tiny tweaks to make your formula even better. And it's risk-free. If you're not 100% positive, pros is the best hair care you've had. They'll take the products back. No questions asked. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash BOP. So you get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash BOP. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash BOP. 
So in the book, Andy has two rebound relationships, first with this kind of potential chatbot named Tosh, and then with a 23-year-old named Sophie. Did either of these relationships and seeing him interact with a romantic partner change your perspective on him at all? It didn't change my perspective, but I didn't like the Sophie relationship. I found it really unpleasant to read. (laughs) What do you think? It actually did change my perspective. So at first, the Tosh relationship made me feel like he was an idiot because (laughs) more of an idiot because I was like, wow, this random hot girl is DMing you on Instagram and you're just totally there for it. But then when he had this relationship with Sophie that, you know, they were out one night at a bar, they ended up making out and then they start hanging out. And it did change my perspective where I was like, oh, yes, this is such a girlfriend guy. This is a monogamous guy. And there were a lot of mind games going on in this relationship. But when she was saying that she just wanted something casual and that he couldn't stay over and he just wanted to burrow into a relationship, it did make me like him more. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. It didn't make me dislike him, but I don't know. Something about it was just like, uncomfortable. But maybe it's because there was like all the mind games going on and stuff. But that's really fascinating. So one of the parts I really loved, though, about that relationship was like the generational divide. So specifically, specifically the stuff about Instagram photos and captions. Like, I think it's a quote from Jane where she says, (laughs) I wanted to like highlight it because it was so funny. (laughs) And she was like looking at Sophie's Instagram photos and she's like, why is there a war poem in the caption of this photo about a hand dryer. It just made me laugh so much because it does feel like that is the cool thing to do now. Just completely nonsensical Instagram captions. Did you like all of that? I loved that. And I thought her her takeaway from it was funny as well, or actually very poignant, that millennials were the first generation that used social media as teens and young adults. And were so earnest about it and had a Facebook album with 97 photos from a single night out. And as a reaction to that, Gen Z finds that cringe and then is, you know, trying to be overly artistic and undone, which in turn will probably become cringe. (laughs) Yes. As, as is the way. (laughs) Yeah. I love that as well. It's so true. I did have a lot of empathy for Sophie. I wanted to like hug her where she clearly wanted to be in this relationship, but was presenting as saying the opposite because she was trying to be the no effort, like whatever. Mm -hmm. And, but she actually really wanted to be with him and you know, that she thought she was like effectively playing this game and gets hurt. And I just wanted to hug her because it felt so maybe not accurate, but like when you're in your twenties and you really like in your early twenties, especially when you really like a guy and you're just like trying to figure out I guess like you haven't placed enough value in mutual attraction yet. And you're like, I need to make him like me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That whole thing, the flip felt very real to me as well. Although it was, it was hard. It was hard to read. I felt bad for her as well, but maybe that's why I found that unpleasant. Cause it was like, part of me didn't want it to happen, but it also felt inevitable. Yeah. (laughs) Knowing what I know about being 23. Totally. How did you feel about Andy's relationship with Avi and Jane and the portrayal of like the thing where you're the single friend, but you have friends are married with children? I thought that was really, really well written as well. Well, I always am excited to see this theme explored. And it reminded me there's this book from 
2020 or 2021 called Olive by Emma Gannon. And the whole premise is about a single childless woman and all of the women in her friend group are either mothers or starting to have children and the isolation of that experience. And I really appreciated the book for just existing, but I I do think the main character and that was a little hard to get on board with. And so I'm always excited to see this theme explored in more places. And it was interesting because Andy was just so happy to go with the flow and to be included in their home life that until I got to Jen's part, I was like, okay, I guess. But I was like, I guess it served to show what he wanted and what he aspired to, but it didn't feel like there was that much friction and that other than, and it did feel like Avi was there for him more than some of the other friends on his group text, but it didn't feel like he was particularly resentful. Mm -hmm. And so I thought it was so, so interesting. And we got to Jen's point of view and her talking about children and how her relationships have changed and kind of like how her point of view on the fact that because she had so much deeper emotional relationships with these women, them becoming mothers and having less time for these friendships was so painful for her versus Andy was just like, sure, I'll show up at your kid's birthday party with like a camo suit and Nerf guns and do this or like I'll get fish and chips. And it just felt like he had less emotion around it. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I I really liked reading her perspective on what it was like to have like that thing she said where I realized I was experiencing grief when like the last person who was like, who understood was like gone. I thought that was very powerful. Well, I want to talk about this POV shift to Jen at the end. I mean, first I want to know if you expected it and saw it coming. And then I want to talk about how it changed your view on Andy and his point of view on the breakup. Yeah. So I guess because it came so far at the end, I kind of thought it wasn't coming (laughs) and it surprised me a little bit. And I'll be honest, like at first it felt a little bit like, okay, I've been on this journey with Andy, who's like a bit of an idiot, but like he's clearly like gotten to a place where he's grown. And then it was like, okay, here are all these reasons to hate him. (laughs) And so it was a little bit like uncomfortable. But then as I read, I was like, oh, this is the whole point of the book. This is completely necessary. And I loved it. I thought it was like really nuanced and interesting. And I just really appreciated it by the time I got to the end of it. But at first I was like, ah, I've been on this journey with Andy and now we're just like beating him up more. (laughs) But but yeah, I, I, I grew to love it. And I grew to love Jen when I read her thoughts. What about you? Yeah, I, I wasn't sure what to expect either. I was kind of like, how does this book end? And at one point I was like, is it going to end with them getting back together, which I kind of, I would have hated. And so I was really kind of scratching my head about what w- would happen as like the pages I had left shrank. And I was like, oh, how do we wrap this up? I loved that switch to Jen. I did find it really surprising. And I did feel like, you know, I had like a loose characterization of her from Andy's point of view as kind of just this like, generic cosmopolitan city woman, but I didn't feel like I understood her or had like much specificity on her from Andy's point of view. So it was really interesting to go inside her head. And I thought the way that this was done was also really interesting because a lot of it was just telling, you know, it wasn't showing. There were very few actual scenes in this. So I thought it was really interesting, but I was, you know, because I'd read all of Andy's point of view, I was devouring it. I was like, that was probably the fastest I was reading in the book. And I thought it was really interesting because I don't think that either of them were right or wrong. And I don't think that Jen came off as clearly the wronged party 
in this breakup or like she was a fantastic person and Andy was trash. And I empathized with a lot of her reasons and kind of the buildup of all these small reasons. But also, you know, the fact that she didn't communicate with him about any of her feelings in this relationship. I was like, oh, you guys kind of like did this to yourself. So I did think it was really interesting to see how the breakup happened from her end and kind of how and why. And it, you know, a lot of it did reinforce some of the things you kind of pick up on from Andy's side of like his lack of emotional awareness and like how he is just like so insecure about his career and comedy and things like that. And so, you know, to hear it reflected from somebody else was really, really interesting. You know what it made me think of though? Have you read this viral article by Emily Gould about divorce from the cut that's been going around the internet? I don't think so, no. So it's super, super viral right now. And it's basically like, I mean, there's a lot of way more serious mental health themes in this article, but basically she kind of convinced herself that she wanted to divorce her husband and she like built this case against him and then realized that she didn't want to divorce him and had like kind of bought into a lot of like divorce literature, divorce movies. Like she was consuming a lot of things. She was having a lot of like very negative conversations with her other friends and then projecting that onto her husband. And in some ways, it kind of reminded me of Jen's point of view where, you know, whenever she was complaining about Andy, Jane was like, welcome to being in a relationship. And it's like, yes, I get that this is not ideal, but it's like, what do you realistically actually want? Yeah. Yeah. I had a lot of thoughts about that. (laughs) Someone who's been in a relationship for a really long time because I didn't really know Right. Like, what did she want? Like, I, in the and end, maybe the answer is that she, she wanted to know. be alone or that. Yeah. But like, that is just being in a relationship to a certain extent. <laughs> like, you're never going to have some like thing where the first year is every year. Like, that's just not how life is, no matter how much you love someone. But I thought what was really kind of impressive from a writing standpoint and just like, character development standpoint about Jen's point of view is that she was really honest about the things about Andy that were bad and that didn't work, but it wasn't cruel. Mm-hmm. And you could still understand why she loved him and had so much affection for him. But also like the bad stuff was bad. Like it wasn't like, oh, he's too nice to me. You know, it was it was stuff that was actually like a problem for her. The other thing I loved was how she talked about how she found the Spotify playlist that he had made for Sophie with the song. And it was so similar to when he saw that she was eating the truffle chips with Seb and watching the period piece. And it just, it was this moment of like, okay, two different experiences, but also like painful in such similar ways. And it gave me like a lot of like love for both of them in that moment, which I, I kind of appreciated. Oh my gosh. Do you know it shocked me? The reveal that she was Tosh and that she had made up this fake Instagram profile to talk with him and make sure that he was okay. And it also made me laugh so hard because he told her about the boat story when they had that night together and she pretended to obviously not know anything about it, but she did know. And I did think that that was really humanizing that it was like, it wasn't that she did have a lot of emotional investment in this relationship and she went a little off the deep end too over it. And I thought that was kind of lovely. Yes, I totally agree. but lovely. 
yeah, it took me so off guard, by the way. I was like, oh, like it made sense. I love when a book does that. I was like, oh, it makes perfect sense. But I did not see this coming. It was so and satisfying. It, it did kind of equalize when he went to her therapist and pretended <laughs> to say the things that she thought he was saying about him, which is so unhinged. And it's like, yeah, she did something equally unhinged, and like catfished him. Yes, yes, yes. I totally agree. I love that. So overall, what did you think of the ending? Also, there's this detail about right when it's ending, COVID is starting. Oh my God. <laughs> like, and you get little kind of details of it, which was a way I haven't seen COVID worked into a story. It was just sprinkled in at the end. It was kind of interesting. Okay. So I loved the ending overall of switching to Jen's point of view and then him creating his comedy show out of their breakup, which seemed like very obvious. And I felt very good about how things ended. I hated the fact that it ended right as COVID was going to start because I feel like what is unspoken is that this couple is obviously going to get back together because he has all these plans for this show and he's going to go on tour, which is obviously not going to happen. And she's given up her apartment. She's found renters and is going to go traveling. And I think it says in the book that she's going to start her trip on March 30th, which obviously isn't going to happen. And I feel like these two people are just going to have all of these dashed plans. She's not going to have anywhere to go. I mean, I guess he's living with Morris, so it's, it doesn't quite make sense that she's going to move in with him. But I just, I feel like in my bones, in my marrow, that what is unspoken is that this couple is going to get back together in COVID. And is that a good thing? I don't know. So I hadn't even thought about that, but that is a really fascinating point you present. I don't know. I think maybe less so because by the end of it, like down to literally the last line, like the whole point is that she wants to be alone. (laughs) I guess she wants to be on her own. Where is she going to go? She's already lived with her sister and her sister's baby. And she knows that that's a crowded house. And I don't think that COVID's going to make that any better. Avi and Jean are having a third baby. They already have two kids. I feel like they're probably going to be really COVID conscious. They're not going to want this like random person to be boarding with them. And it's just like, I I don't know. I I just, I feel it. If this is the real world, they're definitely getting back together. But in like a world where everyone has what they really truly need to be their best self, I hope they don't. But one thing I do have to say, I absolutely loved the fact that Morris was like ahead of the curve and like knew. Oh my God. Morris was so going on. It was so funny and like very, very subtle, but oh my gosh, it was so good. Morris. Very curious. Do you think this would make a good movie? Uh, movie? No, but show maybe if it was cast correctly, I think it has potential. I think no across the board. Really? Yeah, because I think that so much of what is interesting about this book is the interiority and the push and pull between the Mm. external and the internal. And I feel like if it was a movie, it would have to have such heavy VO to make that clear that it would kind of be pedantic a little bit where you were like, oh my God, like, I hate this. I don't know. Yeah, that's a very good point. I think also it would be very hard to make him sympathetic because he would look like, a soccer, basically. <laughs> yeah, also that. But I don't know. There's ways you can do everything. I would maybe tune in. Okay. I, not definitely, but maybe. Okay. So you've read Ghosts, Dolly Alderton's other book, or her debut, I should say. What do you feel like when you take these two and compare them? 
I strongly preferred Ghosts because it is also a commentary on dating culture from the female point of view. So the whole premise of the book is that this woman meets this guy and is so into him and they have this like great mini relationship and then he ghosts her and she kind of also goes a little nuts trying to deal with that and like figure out what happened. And so it is very much about the female point of view of dating, which I found so perfectly explored and like so funny and so poignant. And I can understand why having done that from the female point of view, she then wanted to flip to the male point of view here. But I just, I liked the other one so much better. There are also so many things in that book that have stuck with me even like two or three years later. There is this set piece at a bachelorette party that I think about all the time that was so, so funny. I believe it after reading this for sure. I mean, I know you have piles on piles and piles, but I do (laughs) because it does sound like you really enjoyed, especially the humor. I think you would like ghosts even more. Oh, that's yeah. I I am a little bit underwater when it comes to books. I understand that. I understand. If I wasn't and I was just a person who had read this, I would certainly pick up all of her other stuff, especially because I'm now just like a fan of her personal existence yeah. and style. <laughs> and I just think she's really cool. The last thing I want to talk about is, you know, I've been in my Nora Ephron era. I've been obsessed with Nora Ephron since reading I'll Have What She's Having by Aaron Carlson earlier this month. And in the New York Times review of this book, they call it, this is literally the headline. They say, like Nora Ephron, but with a British twist. And so she's really being lauded as the kind of millennial new Nora Ephron, which I do feel like is accurate in that she has done a lot of personal essays and like that there's a sense of knowing both Dolly as a person and then she also has fictional writing. And so I think in that way, the comparison is really apt and also like the keen cultural observation of it. But I'm curious if you have thoughts. I mean, I think you're more familiar with Nora Ephron, at least like currently since you've been, you know, on your Nora Ephron research, (laughs) which I love for you. I mean, like on its face, knowing what I know about Nora Ephron, yes, this makes sense to me. I don't know who I would compare Dolly Alderton to otherwise. But yeah, I mean, sure. I think she's doing a really unique thing very well. (laughs) And it certainly seems like she's trying to emulate Nora Ephron. There is in the acknowledgments, there was a long section thanking Nora Ephron and talking about how Nora Ephron did such a great job crafting a male character through her conversations and interviewing Rob Reiner, who was the director for When Harry Met Sally, and how that inspired her with interviewing her male friends to create Andy. So, I mean, love Nora Ephron, love Dolly Alderton. So more funny women writers, please. This did make me want to go back. So Dolly Alderton, before her novel Ghosts, wrote a memoir called Everything I Know About Love. And she wrote it, I think it came out in maybe 2018 or so. I think she was in her mid-late 20s when actually writing it. So I, I don't know how much I would relate to it, but it did make me very curious to know more about Dolly the person as opposed to just Dolly the writer. Yes, I would like to be friends with her. Maybe one day. We're both tall. That's all we have. <laughs> That's a lot to bond over, honestly. It is. It is. She wears the most fabulous shoes to all of her events. And 
They always look so good. This is a little bit of a tangent, but she's always sitting in the chairs in conversation and the shoes always look so good. And I'm like, I want to do that if I have book events, but like then I had to stand up. And anyway, it's, I think about these things. Overall, (laughs) I'm a fan. I'm just a fan of her. Well, let's get out of this book and let's get into some end matter. All right, Olivia, what are you obsessed with this week? I'm obsessed with these lavender shower bombs that I got. So basically they're like a bath bomb, but you throw it in the shower and it like steams up your bathroom and then it smells like a spa. I got these for a practical reason because we have well water, which sometimes smells weird Mm -hmm. and it annoys me deeply. And I was like, what's something I can do to make the experience of showering better that doesn't require, I don't know, a whole new water source, which I can't afford nor do I know is even a possibility. So I got these and I am pleased to report they work and also incredibly soothing. I feel like a rich lady, a rich, calm lady. And so yeah, recommend. I got them on Amazon. I don't know. They work. This reminds me of my shower spray, which I feel like is also a luxe experience. What scent is it? Eucalyptus. I think there's probably multiple. Oh, that's nice. That's really nice. Yeah. I'll have to try that too because I try to only use one when I'm doing like, I'm washing my hair, so I'm going to be in there longer, but they are like $30 for a bag. Oh, so the spray might be a good stopgap for shorter showers. What are you obsessed with? So I am re-entering my Kindle era. I got a new Kindle. I got the Paperwhite Signature Edition. I feel like I've had a bunch of occasions that call for needing a Kindle recently. So whether that's I'm considering blurbing a book and it like doesn't exist in print yet. And so somebody sends me a digital copy or I did read the third Crescent City book on Kindle because even though I pre-ordered it, Barnes and Noble was delayed and it wasn't coming fast enough. So I just, I feel like I've been using my Kindle more than I have previously And my old Kindle was from 2016 and was so janky. So I was like, okay, I'm going to upgrade this. And I'm very excited. I don't have full thoughts yet. I've only had it for a week and a half, but feeling positive. And oh, the Paperwhite Signature Edition, I think it comes standard without ads. You can pay to have the ads removed on a regular Kindle, or I've also heard from other people that you can just like call and complain that they're, they're offensive to you and they'll remove them. But it feels really nice to have a Kindle that doesn't just always have a half-naked man on it advertising some like bonkers <laughs> romance novel. Erotica about yeah. balloon animals. Yeah. yeah, that's my life currently. <laughs> so, I I understand. You've actually inspired me to look into getting a new Kindle. So I love this for you. It's it's helpful. And I have to admit, you know, I usually travel with at least two books and I went to Boston and I just brought the Kindle and it was so much lighter and easier. It's freeing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. What about reading? What have you been reading this week? So I read The Wishing Game by Meg Schaefer. Now I could be wrong, but is this the book that you read and you were like, there's this one quote about writing. That is what I I needed to know if you found it because there was something and I gave away my copy, but I did highlight it where I was like, this passage is like, I have it written down in my notes app, I think, is like the most Olivia coded thing that has ever existed. Is it the one where it's like talking about like the gift of writing and how it's like you either play with it and like yes. use it? Yeah. Do you want me to read it? I have it in my notes app. I don't think yes. it's a spoiler. Yes. 
Go for it. You said this maybe it had to be like more than six months ago. And yes. it stuck in my head all this time. And I finally read the book. But yes, go read it for the people. Okay. So the quote is, God or whoever is in charge of this planet, got drunk on the job one day and decided to give me the gift of writing. The way I see it, I have two choices. I can set that gift on a high shelf so it won't get dinged up and nobody can make fun of me for playing with it. He smiles until the crinkles at the corner of his eyes were deep enough to hide state secrets. Or I can have fun with it and play with the gift I was given until the engine burns out and the wheels come off. I decided to play. I suggest you do the same, young man. Go paint or draw or collage or whatever you want to do. Come back when there's smoke coming off the canvas. And for God's sakes, go have some fun, please. (laughs) Yes, I did love that so much. And it's so true. Like, I don't know. Life is about having fun. Like you're never... Anyway, yes, I loved it. You were correct. Did you you love the book overall though? Okay, so it reminded me of the Midnight Library in the sense that it felt very bedtime story-ish. Mm. And like, it was adult, but also like, it did not feel like an adult book to me. It felt like a children's book, which is kind of interesting because I was in search of something that was very soothing and relaxing. And this definitely fit the bill. Not like my favorite book of all time, but I enjoyed it. Did you love this one? I can't remember how you felt about this. Were you like kind of... I think... I enjoyed it more than it sounding like you did. I did kind of find parts of the adoption storyline very creepy. Oh, yeah. I did have some questions about the logistics of that. Like, I don't know. Like, her acting like his mom before. Yes. Yeah. There were some things where I was like, this is... But the setting, like the house on the island But the house on the island and the games, I loved. Loved. Same. Loved. Different vibe, but I also read The Comeback by Ella Berman, which you've been recommending to me forever. Ella Berman also wrote former book club pick Before We Were Innocent. This is about a teenage actor who is like kind of taken under the wing of this like big Hollywood producer and is, this is not a spoiler, but is taken advantage of. And so it has these ripple effects throughout her whole life. And um, it's really just like, remarkable character work. It's like pretty incredible, but I really like this one. Well, I don't know if you know this, but the comeback was also about on paper book club pick. So we do have a book club episode about that. If you want to go back before you were a host. (laughs) I actually might go listen. I might, I might. What did you read? So I read two things. I read Good Material by Dolly Alderton obviously or not, obviously. And then I also read Bye Baby by Carol Lovering, which comes out next week. It comes out March 5th. And you, Olivia, had already read this. Grace had read it. And both of you were like, you're going to love this. So I did really like it. It is, I guess, a suspense novel. It's not quite a thriller. It's about these two best friends who have known each other since high school. And uh, in the present timeline, One of them married very rich and is an influencer. And there's a lot of great influencer commentary. And then the other is kind of just more a normal person. And their friendship is really strained. And the more normal friend has something to do with the kidnapping of the other woman's daughter. And there's a lot of commentary about female friendship, about the internet, which I really, really liked. However, this book gave me what I will call the curb your enthusiasm feeling where I have such secondhand anxiety for somebody that I feel like the experience is unpleasant. That means that 
writer is doing her job. That's just something that like I personally find really painful and is a reason that I don't like some thrillers and specifically the reason I don't like the show Curb Your Enthusiasm. I know what you mean. It is like you have a lot of feelings when reading this book. It's like impossible not to be like tense. Yes. Um, Which yes, is definitely a credit to Carola for sure. Yes. Well, would you like to do a grand reveal about our March book club pick? Sure. Much like February, I haven't read this yet, but I've heard very good things and I think the premise is fascinating. So our March book club pick is going to be Anita DeMonte Laughs Last by Zosiel Gonzalez. The synopsis is, this is a mesmerizing novel about a first-generation Ivy League student who uncovers the genius work of a female artist decades after her suspicious death. So we've got mystery. We've got art world. I think it's going to be something a little bit different than things we've done in the past maybe six months or so. And I'm pretty excited. I'm very excited. If anyone remembers when Sochiel came on for our reading preview, I guess it would have been in June of 2023. She was talking about this book and I've been looking forward to it ever since. Apparently it's very voicey. The ghost is very sassy in this. And I also loved Sochiel's debut, which was Olga Dies Dreaming from 2021. And so I'm very, very excited to see where she goes with her second novel. Gorgeous cover too. Yes. Beautiful. Well, that's it. I think if you want to talk about good material or anything else, you can join us in the Facebook group under a bad on paper podcast or in our Geneva group, which is also under bad on paper podcast. You can also talk to us on Instagram, bad on paper podcast. I'm on Instagram at Olivia Mentor. And if you would like, you can pre-order my book, Such About Influence, which comes out June 4th. And I am on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.